when you had to present your team's vision, your launch plan, you go to market uh, with Jack, with the CMO, and Leslie at the time. So you only maybe have like 30 minutes, just like a max, like just to go there and then tell you, this is what we're gonna do. This is our plan, like, you know, like, you know, so just really just like you pack everything into that short 30 minutes and, and how do you get the most out of that and leave the room feeling confident, you know, and like energized. Welcome to Deep Dives. My name is Rid, and this is where we go deep with the best designers so that you can learn from their journey and apply it to your own career. A couple of years ago, I was interviewing Yuan Wang to lead design at Maven, and the two projects that she presented were one, leading the design of the original Twitter thread, and two, leading the first big redesign of the Airbnb marketplace. Needless to say, we hired her and I learned more from working alongside Yuan than any designer in my career. She's a mentor to countless other designers, and so I wanted to start this conversation by learning more about how she built the original design mentorship program at Airbnb. After I joined Airbnb, I had this opportunity to have lunch with the head of like design operations um, at Airbnb design team. So she was asking me like, what was my number one observation of the design work? I paused for a moment and said like, I just noticed there are not that many women design leads in, in the organization. So when I joined, I think there were only six women who were in that role. Like there were in total, there were all, almost like 30 people like that are in that level. So only six were women and then only three were like women of color. I was one of them. So that kind of started the whole conversation and this was all, all on top of like all the other like day-to-day -day work that I was doing. So but I just really felt compelled that I think this was something that's worth pushing. So I wrote like a proposal and started the pilot program. There were about 35 mentees that joined, designers for content strategists or researchers, like basically everybody in the larger design work. At the end, um, more than 90% of the participants would like to enroll in this program again. We also conducted some, you know, kickoffs and trainings and to really make it kind of, a, you know, a holistic program to root for the success for, for this mentorship experience. We end up, you know, hired a dedicated program manager to take over the operations so that I no longer had to do a lot of the, you know, the manual stuff, but maybe became more of like the spokesperson for, for this, uh, for this program and then to advocate and to continue kind of, you know, excite people to join. I mean, it's cool because I, even just preparing for this, I was spending more time on your website and I was looking at the testimonials from all of the different coaching interactions that you've had in the past. And it is really clear that you've had a huge impact, but also just helped a lot of designers get unstuck in their mm -hmm. career and feel energized about their craft and what they're doing. And so maybe we could even talk a little bit more about that. Like yeah. when you start working with a new client or someone that you're mentoring, what are some of those early questions that you are asking them to mm -hmm. help them gain a little bit of clarity for their own career and start to visualize what those next goals are? Yeah, I love this question because I think a lot of times at first when people come to me, I mean, of course, now I have I position myself as a coach. So maybe there are some expectations for what kind of conversations you're going to have. But before that, like people would just come to you and then like want to get career advice. Right. So like I think there is it's interesting to think about what is advice and what is coaching, you know, so because advice usually is something that's your experience and you believe it's right for you and then you feel like someone else should also take that advice right but coaching is a very different kind of 
conversation because coaching is really focusing on the that person and believe that person actually has the best answer. And then mentorship, it's also more of like an advice kind of um, format. So like, because you are really learning from the person who's more senior and then the person who's more senior knows the best answer, right? So, so I think it's really like a flipped ways of encouraging that person and empowering that person to think about what's best for, for them. Once you start past beyond that level, things just get naturally more like complicated, I guess. I think most of the time because because you got more experience and you you just have more options really like you have no so many pathways that you can think about right like do i want to be a manager do i want to continue growing an ic do i want to like is this the right time to start a family like how do i actually balance my work with my passion project like what about rest <laughs> so like you just have so much more to really think about and juggle in my opinion so like a useful framework that i usually kind of walk them through is just called the, the the pain and gain metric so you can think about this like a two by two kind of metrics you have your pain you have your gain and then you also have your current situation of where you are you talk about this idea of quieting your inner critic and visualizing mm. your inner mentor mm. can you unpack that a little bit for us some people could talk about it maybe as like the imposter syndrome it's more of less of like a like an imposter syndrome but more we all have inner critic that doubt ourselves the people that you have seen that are very confident they just have a better relationship with their inner critic i think just by acknowledging that i think it normalizes the feeling that you're just not enough and accepting that we all have inner critic and your job is to recognize it and to understand what the message it's trying to tell you and what are what are some of the intentions your inner critic has maybe your inner critic is trying to protect you you know like where does that come from think about your inner critic that has a has a volume button so you can actually turn it down if you need it and then the inner mentor concept i think it's the flip side you have an inner critic that may be doubting you but you could also be thinking about, you know, mentor, this, this mentor could be someone that you, you look up to, or it could be, you know, people you just have qualities that you really aspire to become, or it could also be just an imaginary kind of, you know, voice. It, it, it's totally okay. And I think sometimes it, it helps when you are in a certain situation that you can ask yourself, like, what would my inner mentor do in this situation, you know, to kind of help you get out of your own ways of thinking and to challenge you to either you know be more thoughtful or be more confident i love how tailored it is to the individual and i see why mm -hmm. you kind of led by almost creating this opposite perspective of like hey this isn't necessarily advice because advice is more broadly applicable perhaps and a lot of this feels more like counseling to an extent and really yeah. like getting into the weeds of what is ultimately motivating you and it kind of, yeah. honestly, it makes me think of, like, sometimes I hang out on the subreddit for UX design. I see a lot of people using it as an outlet to discuss some of the things that you're talking about because mm. it is anonymous and it's a little bit easier and maybe that mm. helps just to get things off your chest. And I see specifically over the last even six months, I've seen kind of an uptick in people who maybe don't feel like they have that same level of passion mm -hmm. for design um, or the mm -hmm. role or just what their day-to-day -day is looking like. And it's a lot of people just 
using it as an open forum to talk about burnout. And sure. I'm wondering, is that something that comes up frequently in your coaching conversations? And how do you kind of guide people through that stage of the career? I think it's just really start with helping them understand their values first. What are some of the core values that's very important for you? Um, I think that on its own, I think it's a way to help you prioritize. There is this core value exercise that I sometimes do with my client. And I think by just really holding all these different things together, like, you know, asking you like, what would you put at first? One philosophy I've learned and I kind of shared that with my clients is like, how, how do we think about work instead of this constant going, you know, like, I know it's, it's a luxury to think that you, you can stop in some, some time, but, but I think it's helpful to just at least think about approaching work in seasons, you know, like we live in places where it has seasons. Like you look at the plants around you, there are seasons that they grow and then there are seasons that just like restore and mm -hmm. there's like nothing that's happening, but doesn't mean that they're not coming back. Like the perennials to come back year after year, right? Like, would you like to be an, a perennial kind of plant? Or would you like to be an annual plant? You bloom so much in one year, right? So like how, if you were to think about a sustainable approach, like the nature, like the plants around you, maybe it's healthier to have a seasonal approach to your work. So like, then we start thinking about, yeah, like what are the seasons that make sense for you to focus on work? And then what are the seasons that you can focus on rest? I'd like to transition a little bit because earlier this year, I got the benefit of being able to look over your shoulder while you were reviewing all of these different portfolio websites throughout the hiring process. And I feel like a lot of people could really benefit from just getting a better sense of your own lens that you're using to view these different portfolio websites. And so maybe we could even think about that first five, 10, 15 seconds after you click on a website, mm. what are you looking for? And what are some things that designers can do to make a good impression? I get that question a lot. Like a lot of times designer will ask like, how can I make my portfolio stand out? Right? Like it's like a very common question. I think there is not that many like tricks, I guess. Like I, I, a lot of times I, my straight answer is good work stand out. So like focus on doing good work, you know, like that's, that's like the, the number one thing I felt like it's really important to honing on. Like if you don't think your work is, you know, strong enough, like focus on getting that work to a, a stronger place. So let's kind of maybe unpack a little bit about like, okay, what makes a good work? Right. So I, I do think still at least in our like i may even uh what, what are the the criteria that we have it's we, we really care about craft here that means i'm looking for strong visual and interaction design um details and representations so i like to look at prototypes you know either mobile or desktop it's fine but if you have done design work like it's helpful to see that prototype so you have them show them off um, and I think another common mistakes maybe that people neglect on their portfolio is that thumbnail, like the thumbnail that they use to click into the case study. I think you could do so much more to make it interesting, uh, exercise your design muscles to really differentiate. Um, so we all know what the standard kind of thumbnails could probably look like. So 
yeah, like how can you differentiate yourself just from that? Because you can think about it as like even like an ad for your case study. You know, like how can you make it interesting that people want to click and then to look at it, right? So, so that's I think different things, but in general. Strong visual design interaction details are the f number one thing that I, I like to look at. And I think in terms of your narrative for the case study, this is also commonly seen from maybe graduates who came from boot camps because you were told to do all these methodologies and, you know, showcase all the, the process with like raw sketches and wireframes and all that. So. There's nothing wrong with doing these. I think it's awesome that, you know, designers can like that you have the space to show that. But I think it's important to have your outcome first and then process being the second thing. Because as a hiring manager, they will only care about the process if the outcome is good. Uh, so that goes back to doing good work. How can you make your actual work, the design part of the work good? Um, so if you don't think that final output is strong enough, like, okay, maybe the prototype is not polished enough, or maybe, you know, I could show a little bit more wider range of explorations and yeah, like focus on those things first, uh, so that you improve it, you can show it off like a little bit earlier in your case study so that people can see it early on and then they will be more invested understanding how you get there. I think a lot of portfolio case studies just like straight up going through like timeline of all the process and stuff. And then at the end, <laughs> the, the, the outcome, big reveal. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, not that great. So, you know, um, yeah. I just felt like it was really a missed opportunity. And, but yeah, good work stands out. So, like, focus on that. Uh, you know, I think rather than just like, adding all the, the methods and process, you know, to justify the, the work itself. So I think that's, that's really important, especially for junior level designers. Um, I love the point of, of like, just giving people an idea of where you're going to, because mm -hmm. if I'm three viewports into a portfolio project and I'm looking at sticky notes and I still don't know where we're going, you've lost me. Like I'm out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I think it's about how you think about the attention span also for your hiring manager so that yeah. you could like design to impress or to show your the best things earlier on, you know. I think that's a strategy that it's 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 it will be smart to to incorporate for, for your site, right? And then I think the last piece it's also being able to talk about impact in some degree. So like either it's in your portfolio or in your kind of you know, verbal kind of walk through, you know, the, to, to really help the person understand the impact that with this work. I think startups or like every company, I guess, but I felt like especially for startups, they, they love to hire designers who can design for impact, you know, because you are so close to the business and so close to all the growth kind of opportunities. So like, if you have work in that space, like really take the time to talk about, you know, your understanding of the business and then the, 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 but also like maybe not every work is about improving business. It could also be, um, about, you know, organizational efficiency or culture improvements, but impact is impact. Like it doesn't need to be like particular metrics. I think just being able to speak about that and it's a good way to reflect on your process and a good way to showcase that you understand how to measure success for your work. I know some designers will be like, oh, like I don't have all the concrete metrics or 
I left <laughs> before this was shipped or, you know, so like, that's fine. And acknowledge that that's, that's the case, but still you should be able to talk about what are the benchmarks or signals you might look for if you were to measure the success, right? So like, don't miss that opportunity to talk about it because I think a lot of times it's less about like the exact numbers. You understand these concepts then you can apply to those actual, you know, scenarios. And that's the most important thing. So take the opportunity to like be more proactive, even if you don't have the numbers. I think that's, that's, that shows that you, you understand what hiring managers are looking for. I'd like to return back to your billboard comment. Um, and just yeah. this idea of like the, the advertisement for a portfolio project. Sure. So I think that's a pretty interesting way of thinking about it. And I've also kind of been tossing around this idea of like, what would it look like if we took a giant step back and kind of challenged the way that we think about the information architecture on a portfolio site? Because I saw this tweet and it was from Daryl Ginn, who he has the, the godly uh, design website. Mm -hmm. And he said, no one is reading your case study. Just put all of your recent work in order on mm -hmm. one page mm -hmm. and make it easy to find. Watch what mm -hmm. happens. If you look at the people with my level of experience, I guess, like people that I've worked together with, like if you look at their portfolio, like there's like no one format, really. You know, I think we only start talking about a format for a case study because I think there's a lot of people like more the I would say maybe more of a junior level, like doesn't have a lot of super concrete like experience that you could ship. So then there's a lot of case studies that you have done to prove that you understand the concept. So then when you start working in an actual place, you realize that every place has a very different process and you don't have time to do personas all the time or to do all the, the different iterations, right? So like naturally, the way you present your work later on in your career, like it would just all be very different because every project gets shipped in different fashion. You know, there's many different processes that had gone through to get to that point. I think there are no wrong ways to maybe like organize the, the work itself as long as it's suitable to the nature of that project, right? So like, I, I think it's totally okay to not talk about like the, the details of how the iterations at a, at a site and then just to focus on the things that you shipped like especially if you are a designer who has shipped a lot of things in like some well-known companies then like you don't have to go into all the details right just like show the the best stuff like kind of yeah. like the the what is it called like the highlight reel that like a, the 3d designers usually would pack together right it's just like a trailer of like all the super cool stuff that they made I think maybe we designers like product designers should do more of that too. Yeah. I like that idea. It makes me think about like where certain types of content should live in your site. Because mm -hmm. I think I see too many websites right now where you come to the page, there's some generic heading about they're a designer who cares. And then <laughs> you have, you know, three to six cards below and it's a thumbnail that probably just doesn't really actually communicate that much. And then a title of a project and that's it. And I'm expected to click on one of these and there's not like a narrative there. There's, mm -hmm. there's, there's, that's like the dominant theme that I see on a lot of websites where it's like, there's not that much of a narrative. And so I had kind of been putting myself through this exercise of like, let's say I was two, three years into my career. What would I do on my homepage? And I think an interesting strategy that I would explore is taking more of the content from case studies, putting it on that homepage where it read more as this like cohesive story, 
Mm-hmm. Um, maybe like I like your point of like maybe it should feel a little bit more like a scissor reel than mm-hmm. a grid of cards, mm-hmm. and have someone be able to come to my page and be able to like understand what I've worked on, what the timelines are, what the highlights are without having to click on anything. And then treat those case studies almost like an appendix for someone who wants to go a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. And it also makes me think of this tactic that I saw reviewing portfolios, I think it was last month. And there's this guy named Matt Baird. And he did something really, really interesting where on his portfolio pages, he, his breakdown of the project was quite short, actually. Mm-hmm. He just told the highlights and he really put a lot of emphasis into having nice visuals that captured like the core prototype and then maybe like the core screens. Mm-hmm. And then he actually embedded a Figma slide deck right. at the bottom of his website. Only if you are interested in going that third level deeper, you could click in and get all of the details. And I thought that was a really interesting approach versus having this giant wall of text. And it kind of makes me, you know, now I want to ask like, is there anything that you've seen over your last few months of reviewing different portfolio websites that has stood out or you thought was like unique or interesting or captured your attention? There has been kind of a shift, maybe just because like now I'm. It's more okay to do like a password gated if you have like more of like confidential type of things, but you only wanted to show it for the right audience and not just be public for any everyone. I think that's totally understandable. I I see a lot of works get sent that way. Um, you know, you put in a password, then you actually get a lot of more in depth like portfolio, whether it's a deck, where it's like a web page. Um, that help, really helps you got a deeper understanding of the candidate's like skill set. I, I think that's that's good. So if you think, yeah, like, you know, if the if you are thinking about interviewing and you feel like you have a lot of things you, you could show, but you don't feel comfortable putting them all on your website, like that's probably like one approach that you would you could consider. Um, I've I've also like seen, you know, of course, there's so many different hosting platforms and you, there's so many conversations about like, which one is better? And, you know, do you need a, the, the framer or do you need a Webflow? And I, I think, I think these are all great options, but focus on good work, you know? So like mm-hmm. your, your portfolio site can help you, but like the platforms and all that like can help you, but the work itself has to still be good, you know, to, to help really help you stand out. So, um, I have given strong yes to candidates who just host their content on notion, you know, like it's not because the, the site is that impressive. It's, it's well-organized it's as notion helps it, but it's actually a lot more about the content that you talk about your, how you talk about your projects, how you introduce yourself and you know, how I can help like understand you as a designer and your, your ways of thinking about problems that makes a big difference. So I think it's, it's, it's easy to felt like, Oh, like what flow or this site would help make my portfolio better. Um, but I would challenge, you know, to actually like, not start there and to actually focus on your actual work and your story and so that you have a more compelled thing to to show and then you can pick whatever project like platforms that you would like to to host it um i i feel like that that in my mind it's the right priority for for thinking about your 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 portfolio 
You're saying my fancy 3D spline animation on my new shiny framer site doesn't matter? <laughs> I would love to to have that myself, actually. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's sick. Like, I, I love spline. Like, I, that's one thing that I like to learn more, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Another area that I feel like I've just benefited so much from being able to observe you is looking at how you present your work and how you shape this narrative internally. And so I'd like to do a little hypothetical here and mm. put kind of create a spectrum actually, mm. where on one end of the spectrum, we have you know, the meaty projects that you're taking on with Maven today. And on the other end of the spectrum, I want to go all the way back to 2017. You're leading the design of the original Twitter thread. Okay. So we have like this six year okay. period. <laughs> what are some of the main ways that you've grown as a communicator? during that time? And how does it take form in the way that you ultimately present your work internally? That's the environment. These are two really interesting anchor points because like, if I think about the environment that I'm at Maven, like the, how many stakeholders or like how we make decisions like versus at Twitter at the time, it's like so different. <laughs> um, I, I, I think you really had to tailor the way you communicate or you get alignment based on the culture and the organizational dynamic in the place. That's why I felt like it's interesting to experience like work in different places because every place you realize is like very different, like how decision gets made or how priority gets set, right? Like a big company already public versus a company trying to go IPO versus a startup still, you know, trying to figure things out. So when I was working on the Twitter threat project, obviously it was like a pretty big higher priority for the entire work. Um, and also because we designed for Twitter, like, like this is a like foundational change to how tweets are showing up. And uh, when you make a change like that, everything else gets impacted, like the, how you monetize a tweet, you know, how like it gets shown in a DM. So like every single team pretty much will need to know, okay, like this change is coming. Like, how are we going to like adapt to this new dynamic? Right. So, um, I think being the design lead on that project, I think a lot of the times beyond just, you know, the work itself, it's also about like rallying other designers or other organizations, um, to understand what's coming, um, to work together, to make sure, you know, things don't break when we ship. Um, so I think a lot of that, um, so it's, you know, like a, a whole set of collaboration and communication, and that's unique to more of a larger company where you have a lot of stakeholders and, you know, your product really is like so core and central that touches so many things. And that's very different from like the Maven world right now. Um, and I think the other area, um, which was, you know, like high, high stake kind of presentation, you know, when you had to present your team's vision, your launch plan, you go to market uh, with Jack, with the CMO and Leslie at the time. So you only maybe have like 30 minutes, to, like a max, like just to go there and then tell you, this is what we're going to do. This is our plan. Like, you know, like, you know, so just really just like you pack everything into that short 30 minutes and and how do you get the most out of that and leave the room feeling confident you know and like energized so like i think there's certainly things that like 
you know, like, I mean, it's not just designers, like design PM usually kind of go into that kind of conversations together. And I think how you feel about the work really matters too. Like if you feel confident and you like excited, then yes, like people will feel that energy. I think this goes to like, I think any kind of presentation, you know, you want to hype yourself up in some ways. So I, I, I think during that period, like I had like, you know, you always maybe have a couple of things that maybe you hold on to that it's your lucky charm maybe when you're in that kind of situation. Like for me, it's like I have a specific pair of heel shoes that I will always wear when I go to a, a high stick like presentation. Like it. So like probably like Jack will always see me wearing the same kind of shoes like going to that presentation. <laughs> it just somehow like I just like, okay, this is a moment. I'm going to wear the shoes. I'm going to kill it, <laughs> you know? So just like mentally set yourself ready for that big, you know, stage. It's not big. It's a small conference room, but still like, you know, it's you pretty really, big. Really, <laughs> really just get ready, like mentally prepared for it. So I think that's helpful for, for me. There's something that you kind of you're like looking forward to, you know? Um, and then I think because you, it's also a high stake kind of in situation like you, you kind of want to come prepared right so like and then you also want to make the senior leadership felt like you heard them you know if they have feedback like you heard them but you had to like what are ways you can tell them that this is not gonna work <laughs> you know because they might have like very different like very crazy ideas about how a tweet like a thread card should look like and then they they would propose a lot of interesting stuff maybe but you kind of had to you know, tell them this is cool, but like, hey, here are the five reasons why it might not work. <laughs> so, so we kind of, you know, had to, like, there was like one presentation, we kind of got a little more into the details and then I had to prepare kind of, you know, showcasing some directions just to like, hey, this is how it will look in different places and DMs and this is how it will look in like, you know, other places like this will break <laughs> the system and if we go this way, right? So just to help them visualize and see, oh, the team had thought about this very thoughtfully. Let me just put my gun down and just like, yeah, okay. Like I trust your team to make this decision, right? So it's just how you, you're designed to acknowledge their input, but also like hold your ground. I felt like that was you know, like a tactic that, that has been helpful for dealing with these type of feedback with like top down. Um, so yeah, I think these are kind of the main things more during the Twitter times. I would say like Maven is so small that, you know, you don't kind of spend like two days trying to pack like a presentation just to like show it at the review, right? Like you don't do that because we work so fast and we like quick you know, feedback cycle, right? So I think sometimes it's more helpful when you can show like what your thought process is and this is the direction you're thinking. Maybe there are a couple options, but but you can either share that async or, you know, live for a more rich conversation and discussion. Um, I, I felt like, you know, there there is definitely some similarities, like, you know, still like you want to be clear about what feedback you're looking for um, so that the team and your stakeholders understand how to be most helpful um, for, for the conversation. I think that's like a level set. It's 
you know, always good to, to have for any kind of conversation, like especially critique kind of conversation. Like, do are you looking for feedback on this prototype? Or are you looking for feedback on the, you know, general directions? You know, are you looking for just like interaction details feedback? So like, I mean, obviously your audience matters, you know, maybe you want to tailor your feedback for the audience so that um, they also can feel the most useful um, in that conversation. So, so I think like, there's still like a lot of, I think, similarities in, in different kind of organizational settings. Um, yeah, that's that's overall thought process. The high level stakes presentation for something like Twitter is obviously, it sounds like it's a little bit later in the design process. You've thought through a lot of things. You probably have a more mm -hmm. narrow set of concepts that you are interested in um, for to get to that point. Is that accurate? That's true. Um, I think one thing I didn't say, talk about, but it was at the early stage, we did have more of a sprint cycle. So we did have like almost like a one or two, two week, like a two week, I think it was maybe one and a half, uh, but the, the most compact was like a one week sprint. Uh, we had two designers, so me and Stammy. Uh, so like both of us were working on like one person on consumption, one person on like creation. And we just were like cranking out like directions and prototypes, and we do like a daily and the end of day like check in with uh, the VP of product. We kind of do daily check ins with him um, just to really get quick feedback loop. And this was before we kind of like green green light the entire project. So we kind of just like oh let's do this, let's see how we can take this concept and where can we go with, and then we end up like you know at a pretty good place, and then we then later on like assemble the team like put engineers behind it so at the time it before it was just like 1 p.m two designers basically like working on concepts and have day daily check-ins with the, our product uh, vp um, for about like two weeks let's compare and contrast that presentation with something that would maybe happen today and i'm, I'm really interested in looking earlier in the design process as well so like let's say that there's buy-in around a specific problem area um, and there's still a lot of flexibility in terms of where the design could ultimately go and so like tomorrow hypothetically you have a slot at crit and you have these 30 minutes to, to share what you were thinking with different stakeholders can you walk us through your process of preparing for that meeting and i'm specifically interested in how you think about what your deliverable should be and like what are you showing and how are you guiding those mm -hmm. 30 minutes i think always you know for crit like i like to think about what i would like to walk away with you know what input would help me get the most clarity for the work that i'm doing like what questions do i have that i would like to get feedback from this person with like the entire group so i think i usually start there and then i'll work backwards from that and then try to organize my work or like how I want to present the work um, in that way so that, you know, naturally after some context and directions and space for debate, like I would kind of queue up those questions so that we could have these like targeted conversations. I think it's 
easy to feel like you're out of control sometimes in, in certain crit situations where you're like, oh, I come in to like present work and I wanted to talk about A, but then like everybody else started looking at this like B and C and D, you know, like I'm just yeah. like, I end up not getting the feedback I want for A, right? So this is like a lot of times it could be a larger problem with just like the problem you're trying solving. Maybe that's, you know, a, a sign, but sometimes, you know, it's also just like how you can guide people and how you can facilitate these things in, in that 30 minutes. I think it showcase a designer's ability to um, acknowledge questions, understand what it's worth discussing now or what, what's worth discussing later on. Uh, what are something maybe you have thought about, but not having to like show it all <laughs> during that time, right? So I really believe that credits something that the presenter should control, you know, it's not like something that the, yeah, like there should be like a top-down kind of approach. So you should make the best use of that time. So whatever is most useful for you, that's the most useful of a crit. Be clear about what feedback you're looking for going in and then work backwards. I think that's the most useful thought framework that I have. And then I think it also sometimes in crit conversations, I've seen designers sometimes get too deep too quickly into the micro details. And then they kind of lost track of the larger problem or the business context for people, maybe like not a designer or like someone who is haven't seen this project for, for a while and just like showed up in crit, they might have a lot of questions about like, why are we doing this? You know? So like, it really depends on who are in their room. Cause like being able to read a room, it's helpful. Um, so if you know this person, like a lot of people don't have a context for this project, maybe you should spend some time setting up a context for why you're doing this, why this is a problem worth solving so that, you know, you can answer those <laughs> questions, address them first, and then you can get into more of the concrete solutions and presenting them. I think that's helpful. Um, I, 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 I felt like it's it's maybe a reminder for people just to think in the 2x kind of um, framework. So it's like zoom out just one level up versus go too far. You know, you feel like you have to cover all the different spectrums, like maybe think about the two-year vision or like, you know, but then also there's like things that your engineer is going to ship like next week. Like that's like too far of the spectrum, right? So. I think like understand what that 2x means for your project it helps you look more prepared um, and then it also helps I think everyone on the panel like the the crit um, understand the larger scenarios like but just enough to to make good feedback I believe so I think that's that's I think the context for I think good feedback I guess there, there could also be zoom out to x could also be you have these detail level concepts right but what if you actually zoom to x so that you actually summarize like these five different concepts into two directions you know so then you can actually debate on a higher level like the directional level with your cross-functional partners because they might have more opinions about those that that level versus the details so when you can kind of visualize your thought process that way, you actually can guide the conversation. You know, they may disagree with like, you know, option 1A, but like, <laughs> but they actually were bought in into this direction one, but they just maybe there needs to be like a 1D, <laughs> you know, that just different. But like, that's kind of the, sometimes to, to use these kind of um, hierarchies to help 
you understand where do your stakeholder align? You know, do they align at this like foundation, like detailed level, or is it more like we all bought in in this level of direction, but maybe the detail execution needs to be iterated? Okay, we, we can do that. Like that's still a really good output from a crit, right? So like you get that some kind of alignment, but you know what are the next level of things that you need to work on. How can designers create these type of artifacts or like hierarchies of information so that you can use it to understand where other people are at? I love the idea of kind of grouping concepts into these higher level directions, this 2x view. You said this phrase, visualizing your ideas. Can you go a little bit deeper onto that? Let's say you're sharing your screen in a Zoom call. What actually is on that screen? How do you think about the best thing to visually put in front of the stakeholders in the room in order to get the output and the outcome that you're looking for? If you are like, depends on the level of input you're looking for. So like sometimes you're really just looking at a higher level strategy, you know, like, should we work on A? <laughs> you know, that maybe that's like type of question. So like, you're not really going to get into the detailed pixel level of like what A would look like, right? So maybe you will actually spend more time talking about customer interview feedback. Like you might have screenshots of like, these are things that our customers are saying from our surveys, um, you know, to back it up, or there might be also just kind of confusions from our existing product. And you can kind of visualize that, like, you know, maybe there are how many entry points are, in, you know, in this place that it's confusing or, you know, how can you actually strengthen your arguments? Basically, you're making, you're trying to make a point, right? So when, what is that point you're trying to make? And then what are the evidence that you have to make, to support that point, right? Is it a, through customer interviews or is it through your kind of design lens? Like, you know, like understanding using your design fund foundational knowledge to make a critique of that? Or is it actually looking at the data to like the data will tell you, like we have a problem with leaky bucket, like, you know, people are dropping off in this onboarding flow. So I think these are just like questions maybe that you can anticipate that people might have, like what are probably the things that they may say when we ask you, right? And so then you can anticipate these questions and prepare ahead of time. So like, these are maybe like that type level of conversations, how, how I would think about it. And then I think the more day to day, like, you know, like we have a bunch of directions for this project, you know, this is how it could look like and how user will use it. I like to pack them into some like higher level directions. I think sometimes it's helpful to name your explorations so that like, it's easy for people to grasp like, oh, this is like the drawer concept. And that is like the sheet concept, <laughs> you know? So like whatever kind of ways you could do to like help people understand, like these are two different concepts. And then, then it's easy for them to also talk about them, right? Like give feedback. So like, these are like small things. I think it helps when you are like doing explorations. And I also seen like scene designers who just like go through like ten, like seven, eight, like different concepts in this one crit. And then people just get bored because like, oh, they all look kind of the same to me. So, so I think, yeah, how can you organize your thought process and do some editing so that you are creating like some very different directions to try to understand maybe 
where are people at at the spectrum, right? You could just have like a really basic idea maybe, and then there's like a wild idea, and there maybe it's like something in the middle. I think you do that as well. I remember seeing that. So like- I like spectrums, yeah. Yeah, so it kind of really help people understand like, oh, cool, like maybe the crazy one is not so crazy. And so then because they have the comparison, like they understand, okay, like, let's go more wild. So instead of like trying to just iterate on small things, like how can you push your thinking so that you can create these like more wide range concepts for for really effective feedback i think that's a skill i think designers should like continue to do more um, and just enough options like not too many i think that's also really important that's something that i totally learned from you i have like my secret notion page of just like all the little tidbits that i've picked up that i just want to remember for future roles Aww. and one of the things that really stood out to me is we were working on these concepts like how do you preview a course quickly coming from a home page and you had this really cool concept but was but what I took away from it is you gave it a name and you gave it the CLP which <laughs> we had this acronym CLP and you created CLP the easiest way to just like get what you need mm -hmm. without having to open up a new route mm -hmm. and I think it directly contributed to the amount of buy-in that we had because it was so easy to refer to it was so memorable and another way that you can kind of use this this naming strategy that I have definitely picked up from you is having summary slides as well. Like at the end of your presentation, having this like summary side, what do I want to leave up on Zoom when we're having a bunch of conversation about what we just talked about? And maybe you have a very low fidelity representation of these different concepts. Maybe they are living on some kind of a spectrum, but they definitely have that name so that people can easily point to it and talk about it. Um, and so like even just facilitating that conversation after your presentation is done, and what is that visual that you leave up there? That's something that I have also noticed you take very seriously, and it's really helps drive that conversation forward. It's, it's a lot of communication, I think. Especially I felt like if you, like I, I never worked at agency, but I do feel like agency type of communicating, you know, it's like you, you really gotta, make people believe in the thing that you are presenting right so like there is certainly a lot of kind of ways of communicating our tactic that's probably really effective so i think i probably learned some of these things from other people who have more agency backgrounds in the past well, we've covered a lot of ground i don't want to keep you forever is there anything that you still feel like you want to share or questions that you think that i should be asking well, I think, you know, like a lot of people probably listen to this podcast or, um, you know, thinking about your, your career and your how to grow yourself. And I think it's, it is not an easy environment in t it's today, particularly. So I do think it's oftentimes it, it can feel like you're, you're not making progress. Um, I just want to say that like there are still things that you can control, you know, like which are improving your skills. So like how can you leverage the time and then the space that you have during this moment to focus on the skills you want to develop and then the experience you want to collect versus chasing for certain title or companies that make you maybe feel good about yourself. I think the skills in my opinions will really serve you far i think our industry now like has maybe made all of us feel impatient in in, in some ways about results like you know we want to get quick results 
fast. We, a lot of us are proud of our craft because we love that aspect and and good craft does take time and it takes just you know day-to-day -day exposure and and you know things that you simmer ideas and you spark on different directions so be patient I guess with the results consistency will certainly serve you far yeah I, I love that point on consistency I think that's at the end of the day one of the attributes or qualities that matters most in the long run and uh, so I'm glad I'm glad that we ended there Thank you, Yuan. This has been amazing. I feel Thank like I've so learned much. so much from you and just being able to, to share that with others has been great. I know it's going to be really valuable. And final plug, again, if you want to work with Yuan at Maven, go to maven.com slash careers. You will not regret it. That is all. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. So good to see you again.